Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grounded Truth, a podcast where we gather some of the world's most influential data scientists, machine learning practitioners, and innovation leaders for conversations on the most relevant topics in AI today. I'm your host, John Singleton, co-founder and head of success at Watchful, the world's most efficient way to explore and label unstructured text for your data analytics and machine learning workflows. You can try Watchful for free at www.watchful.io. Today, I'm super excited. I'm joined by Sneha Supermanian, Director of Data Science at SalesLoft, to discuss her recent experience implementing a generative AI feature within the SalesLoft platform and some key lessons learned from that experience. So glad to have you. Welcome, Sneha. Glad to be here, John. So maybe a good place to start is maybe a little background in yourself, your role at SalesLoft, and kind of your uh, the, your career that's led you here. Sounds good. Um, let's see, my background, pretty typical, atypical, I guess. Um, so my background is actually in academia for a little bit. Um, I did my PhD in mathematics at University of Pennsylvania. Um, and then I stayed in academia for a few years after my PhD. Um, I, I worked at uh, UC Irvine uh, in California for a little bit. I, I worked in Georgia Tech for a little bit. They were great experiences, but I, I was itching to go into industry. And, um, and, um, and so, yeah, so after a little bit in academia, I switched to industry. My first um, experience in industry was as a data scientist at um, a startup that was backed by Cox Enterprises. Um, the startup was called Vidya. It's no longer around, but it was a great experience. It was a great team to work with. Uh, we had a lot of... I think great... that's fair. As with most startups, I think, As uh, with most, I think most something startups. around 90% if you look in, look behind, it's uh, they're not around anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I did have a great experience there. And then um, after working there for a few years, I, I came to SalesLoft. I've been here for uh, four, more than four and a half years, and it's it's wild. Uh, it's been it's been an amazing journey. Um, we were we were small enough to fit in like one floor of uh, <laughs> of of a, of a of a building back when I joined, and now we're huge. We had we're like present in several different countries, and um, so many more customers than than those times. And, and yeah, so just watching the company grow has been has been an incredible experience. Um, and me, on the more, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, what your team works on within SalesLoft. Yeah. So I was getting, I was about to get into that. So, um, I lead the data science team here. Um, we've grown as well over the years. And, um, really, if you, if I were to describe the work we do, we, um, we do machine learning and AI research to develop AI ML features for SalesLoft. Um, so we usually do all of the background research, the data collection and cleaning and modeling and all of the fun stuff. And then we collaborate with our ML engineering team to, um, to deploy and serve those models for, for our features. Yeah. And, uh, so we're here today to talk about, uh, you've recently implemented a generative AI feature, uh, and really want to dig in a little bit around kind of your experiences there and, uh, for our audience, any kind of maybe some key lessons that you can take away from uh, go, being in an enterprise environment and actually trying to put uh, one of these new hot and fancy models into production. Uh, so maybe starting with a little bit of background, like what is generative AI and why is it important to SalesLoft? It's a broad question to start off there. Very broad question. Um, what is generative AI? Oh my gosh. 
you know it's one of those things where like you say what is life and then nobody can define it properly <laughs> it feels a little bit like that it's it's one of those i'll know it when i see it kind of a situation um but i do think that it it there is a clear distinction between the modern you know llms and other kind of generative tech that have come out in the last couple of years versus you know the big llms like bert and elmo and all of that from before right yeah. um the tech from the more recent times are really good at generating you know new new things sometimes those things are images sometimes those things are text sometimes it's code right um and and uh, and yeah and that that's been like the really big technology shift over the last uh, few years especially over the last few months yeah. um i think one big thing that we kind of discount is not just the technology shift but also not just the technology shift in terms of the background uh, llms running behind these uh, you know massive ai but also like the uh, the interface in which these types of things are available right um back in the day you would have some geeks working out of their garage who are like super interested in this kind of stuff who are who are building you know um art using generative tech but now it's just so easy to use something like midjourney or some or chat gpt and you know generate whatever you want to so it sort of lowered the barrier for entry for anybody in this world with an internet connection to play around with uh, generative tech which has been really cool as well Yeah, I I think that's the big aha moment with the release or like ChatGPT Mania over the past 5-6 months. It's really less about the core technology behind it, which, you know, for those in, of us in industry, we recognize this technology at fundamentally is a few is a couple of years old at this point. But really, uh I think when we start talking about AI for all or the democratization of AI, the most the clearest thing to me is the interface and just like you said by enabling anybody to interact and then be productive and I think we can define productivity but kind of very broadly here uh but be productive and successful with these generative AI technologies because just like you said everybody can interact I can say a sentence and I have some expectation of what's going to happen based on that sentence or set of words uh and that's really what's brought I think AI and the possibility of AI in general kind of uh to the forefront of everybody's mind so uh that 100% agree so going into a little bit about uh you want to talk about a little bit of the implementation or like what what is the feature that you guys built man on a broad let's taking a step back yeah so let me take another step back and tell you a little bit about what salesloft does so that yeah. you know just to give a little bit of context so we um we're sales and sales engagement software um we uh it, you know one of our our um our vision is that every seller is loved by the buyer they serve uh we want to serve our sellers and through them serve their buyers um so our our software is to make selling easy and efficient and and um productive for sellers um and so as part of that software one of the things we um one of the um um features that we have that's basically salesloft's if you may flagship feature and i'm doing air quotes nobody will see that <laughs> uh, but uh, salesloft's fa- flagship feature was cadences uh, which you know um sellers can use to create essentially a structured way of um of prospecting right um they they can structure their prospecting strategy through cadences and one of the things that sellers do is create email steps in those cadences um very frequently these email steps involved creating an email template 
uh, so that once you create that email template, then anybody executing that cadence can, you know, execute that email step and just uh, essentially um, personalize that template towards their buyer. And, you know, creating email templates can sometimes take a long time because you're staring at a blank page and, um, and you know, you got to start somewhere and it can take, it, it's a starting problem. Essentially. The, the cold start problem. It's, exactly. it, it, it is a, it's a tough thing to start from zero. Exactly. And, um, and, and given that we have chat GPT and other uh, generative AI tech right now, I can imagine a lot of content creators are looking at that bank blank page and instead of just sitting there are like opening up a new tab and maybe trying a few things out, like brainstorming a little bit, right? Um, Using chat GPT and then bringing back, you know, what they're finding, maybe like fine tuning it a little bit or like changing some wordings here, making it more in line with the messaging and then bringing it back into the platform, right? So what we wanted to do is just make this easy, right? We have now an interface through which Using OpenAI's models, OpenAI's GPT 3.5, actually, we can um, let um, sellers and content creators create an email template within um, within the platform itself. And you know, this is this is a generative capability. We are not creating we're not creating a template out of nowhere. It's it's using a few keywords and uh, you know a few um, uh, let's say messaging and uh, value proposition details that uh, that is personalized towards uh, you know the seller's company, um, and we don't we let the seller play around with it as much as possible as well yeah. because it's important for us that this isn't a robot just yeah. doing the selling for them. It's important for us that the seller is in the driving seat and they 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 adjust the messaging. The seller, or the content creator, right? They adjust the messaging, they adjust the wording, and. Uh, to their level of perfection before finalizing it. Yeah. And I, as someone, so I guess I should also disclose, we are sales off customers. Um, so I'm really excited to check out the feature ourselves. And I can definitely say that like playing with chat GPT and other like generative language models, the generate and then edit workflow seems to be the one that I'm, I'm generally going, going to, uh, you kind of mentioned like Put, add some key information or change up the wording. Uh, I definitely think that ChatGPT has a voice. Uh, you know, it's a uh, fancy and confident one, but it de- you can just after playing with it enough, and I don't know if you feel the same, I, I, I can kind of smell some ChatGPT wording and phrasing sometimes when I'm reading, a, you know, some LinkedIn post or blog post or something like that. And so I, I do think that, uh, that those applications where you can still put it in front of the person and overcome that cold start, which we all are burdened with, um, honestly, if anybody has any tips for just writing things down, by all means, send them send them my way. Uh, but that workflow to where we can still have the ex- the experts sit there, you're no longer required to like this requirement of perfection or like absolute quality out of the generated content uh, is kind of lifted because you still have this expectation that the human or subject matter expert on the person trying to do the thing with the generated text uh, at least has final eyes before it goes out. So. Uh, definitely in my own kind of experimentation, I, uh, I I feel that. So Yeah, it's very interesting you call that out because I do think that there are two things that, um, there's so many ways ChatGPT has become useful, including internally on our team, we'll get into that as well. But when it comes to like the general use case, I feel like there's this one use case of brainstorming, right? People use it as a, a brainstorming tool to like try a couple of ideas, hash out a few things and, you know, um, iterate on it a few times, and that's that's sort of uh, become 
very easy and productive with ChatGPT. And then the other is actually you mentioned about the tone of voice mm-hmm. of of ChatGPT. Um, I will say that um, y- if you struggle with tone of voice, you want to come across as a different tone of voice than what's natural for you. I've I found ChatGPT to be very useful from that perspective. Like I, uh, if I want to like send out an email. To my colleagues even yeah. and I want to enter a joke in there like I'm not a funny person <laughs> it's just easy to ask chat GPT to write a joke about you know support vector machines or something yeah, <laughs> it'll yeah. do it <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's it is a lot of fun it's like when you want to reach for something that is definitely not in your wheelhouse uh I mm-hmm. also like you can kind of just give it crazy parameters and asks and it will definitely produce something maybe not always great but interesting at the least Yes, yes. And that's the thing you said, maybe not always great. And and that's where like humans are there to make it great, right? I'm not going to use ChatGPT to write jokes to go and then like perform stand up. (laughs) Right? Um, I every single stand up comedian in the world is funnier than ChatGPT. But ChatGPT is probably funnier than me. So (laughs) why not use it for that purpose? Right? I, I, I will say uh, I recently went to a, a stand-up comedy show and one of the opening jokes was reading off a joke from ChatGPT. Granted, oh, uh, a, little, a little bit of t- – there's some timing and panache and, you know, kind of the fact that it's a ridiculous statement was, I think, the funny thing. But I did I, – I do think it's hilarious. There's a lot of comedians coming out with the ChatGPT-generated content and, you know, talking about it. But it's uh, it's definitely wild times we're living in in terms of uh, <laughs> just what people are consuming and what uh, – you know, how we're implementing and using these technologies today. Absolutely. So maybe uh, diving in a little bit to, so your, yourself and your team's experiences trying to do something very directed and specific with uh, ChatGPT. Um, what are some kind of key lessons that you guys learned along the way? Um, anything that you can kind of share? Yeah. So um, the first lesson was this balance of excitement and I would say, realism or understanding right yeah um everybody's excited about this uh, which is a really good thing like i feel like um inside sales loft i've seen levels you know high excitement at all levels and high yeah. support at yeah. all levels which has been amazing um i feel like the we worked really fast to deliver this feature and we could work really fast because we had that enablement and support at the highest levels, yep. which, which was amazing. Um, so that's been one lesson, like having that enablement and support, you know, um, from your senior leadership, from your executive leadership has, has been great. Um, but also like the understanding and the realism, right? Uh, the idea that this isn't a hammer and everything isn't a nail, um, just just knowing its limitations and working with those limitations limit those limitations doesn't have don't have to be you know things that shut the door on your face um they can be things you can work with it depends on the use case yeah right um so so just knowing those and and uh being aware of those has been also like really important uh so i feel like that balance between high excitement and you know seeking to understand and seeking to to know where its limitations are and seeking to work around them have been um really really great for us yeah I'm, i always like i think one of the things that chat gpt uh like 
generated the most per chance was uh, emails to data science directors and managers uh, asking for Turing prizes effectively. Like, I just did this. Her ChatGPT, we can just do this, right? Just throw ChatGPT at it and it'll do it. And just like like alignment and excitement is great. And I think definitely from our customer base and working with you know, teams like yourselves, there has never been a higher degree of excitement in the NLP and just AI space in general because now everybody has some tangible interface going back to kind of where we started and the excitement here of this natural language interface that now someone can do something productive with AI. So therefore, everybody has an idea of how I would want to use this or how could we use this or why aren't we using this and uh, aligning that like excitement to the, I think at times, harsh realities of the current limitations of the technology. But I, going, you know, going back to exactly like we said, it's, I think it's opportunity. It's those uh, rough edges or, you know, uh, what might be a weakness in one use case is really a strength in the other, going back to using them as, you know, produce and then edit type workflows, taking a look at that and understanding that's where the quality measure can be can be defined rather than chat GPT is just running an entire chatbot service for us and we're thumbs up, hands off. That's exactly right. And uh, I'll I'll say that um the data a data science org in any, you know, company that's considering generative AI tech plays a major role here. Um, you can have, I have been lucky leading data scientists at SalesLoft who are basically behaving like they're children in a candy factory, right? Yeah. They're, they're super excited. They're learning as much as they can. They're sharing it all. Um, they're, they're loving every minute of this journey. Um, but you can imagine there could be some data scientists who feel a little bit threatened by this or even, skept, yeah. you know, extremely skeptical. Some of it is completely natural. It's natural to feel a little bit of skepticism towards um, a new technology like this, especially when you hear about all of the, you know, hallucinations and, and whatnot. Um, it's, but it's also important to put yourself in a place where you help guide the product and, you know, your stakeholders and your customers through the next phase rather than putting yourself in a phase of like just blocking everything, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's um, that's a, another lesson is like, where does the data science teams or data science orgs role lie over here? And I think the role is one of extreme education and enablement right yeah. now. I, I was just about to ask if, if you like, because I, th I feel like one of the most underrated soft skills for any data scientist is presentation communication and educate, like it, because it comes with education, right? You can get those emails that ask for a Turing prize, but you need to be able to discuss, okay, we can't exactly do this, but this is what we can do. And I think aligning, like, I, I guess I'll ask to you, like, how much do you feel that you have required like education to kind of get alignment on what you guys are trying to do and accomplish with these features? Oh, there's a lot. Um, so it, there's the education piece. I think of it as, you know, data scientists going in and doing a lot of their lot of homework on what is this technology, what are its technical cap capabilities. Um, I I feel like on surface level we hear a lot of things, but when you dig deeper, there's just a ton to learn about this. Um, so essentially arming data scientists with the tools necessary to go and read papers, to go and, yep. you know, um, join conferences about this and just learn, learn about it at a level deeper than, you know, what others possibly can. That's something data scientists can do, right? Like they're, yep. they've been reading papers and attending conferences about AI tech forever. So why not this, right? 
um so so yes that's that's the education part and then education of like the broader org as well right um we did a lot you know in the last couple of months of like writing up documents sharing them joining brainstorms um and to the credit of product org they have like consumed everything with an open heart and like you know joined all our calls and led some brainstorms themselves and you know they've they've been amazing um so this partnership right has been very fruitful very close um and and i think it's it's a big role that a data scientist can play to like bring forward the information they're learning and then distilling it down uh to a place that's usable and uh accessible uh by folks who are not spending all their time reading about these things right yeah absolutely and I want to touch on, you know, you mentioned that some of your data scientists or data, I think it's not yours, it's a lot of data scientists uh, and machine learning engineers across the planet are feeling a lot of the same things. Threatened, I think, is the word that you just used. Um, you know, what do you like, what do you have to say for those, you know, individuals that are feeling like maybe their research is just worthless now or they're, you know, am I going to be replaced by data science GPT, data scientist GPT in two to three years? <laughs> you know, what are their prospects, you know? Kind of what was your what was your process and how did you manage that? Well, I'll tell you what we do in our team when we um, prompt Chat GPT. We always start with "Please, Chat GPT, can you?" <laughs> <laughs> and we do that because we gotta be nice to our future robot lords, right? Yep. Um, I'm, I'm joking about that, but um, only kinda. Only kinda. Yeah. <laughs> only kinda. Um, <laughs> but one thing I would really like to remind data scientists is: haven't we been in this in this place like forever um i feel like 10 years ago or maybe 15 years ago like if you were to like you know implement like a simple um linear regression you're either lucky to be a part of a company that um you know pays for a, an incredibly expensive statistical software or you're writing that whole thing from scratch in code Right, Scikit-Learn did not exist, and like all of these cool open source technologies did not exist. Mm -hmm. It took a long time <laughs> to do that <laughs> stuff, right? And and today, uh, like you do all of that in like two lines of code, maybe, right? If you if you're ever using something like that, uh, same thing. Like within my own like career, I saw this happen for neural networks, right? Um, like training and um, training and validating neural networks was so much harder when I started my career, and and now obviously a few years ago we have we have had TensorFlow and Keras that just abstracted it all out and it's just so much easier. I find, you know, all of this conversation around GPT another layer of that abstraction, right? Yeah. It would have been harder before, and now it's easier, um, and that's that just means that it made a lot of data science. Um, a lot of things that data scientists would, would do, it made it easier. Yeah. Some of it, it made it so easy that data scientists don't have to do it anymore. They can even enable others to do it, right? Um, and 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 then that, that suffices. But in some cases, data scientists are still involved, um, but it just takes a lot shorter time, right? Yeah. I think the, the real positive thing is there are things that maybe we thought were two years or four years down the road in our roadmap is now possible today. I think that's a great thing, right? Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's yeah. a little bit of like uh, rising tides raise all ships, but rising tides can maybe also change the, the channels of travel as well. It's not necessarily a negative thing, yeah. but it's we're now focused on slightly different tasks just by the nature of 
the progression of technology, yeah. the, you know, the, the increasing efficiencies in certain areas. And, you know, I think the, the kind of takeaway there is like, hopefully now that data scientists are no longer spending cycles and time, effort, energy on the quote unquote easy stuff, uh, but instead are focused on the tasks that are now ML hard and theoretically are the most needle moving or like the most impactful potentially for any given organization. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, just a little mindset shift. Exactly. It's a mind shift, mindset shift. And and so on the flip side of that, I would say that the data scientists that accept this mindset shift and um, are able to sort of embrace this new technology as a part of their toolkit, right? Yeah. They're the ones that will move fast now. Um, whereas if, if we're going to be resisting it and, you know, not even try to use it in our workflow, then again, somebody else is going to figure out how to do it better and you'll get left behind. So so that's the that's really the challenge right now for data scientists in front of them. I'll say also that there's just so much, there's just so much to do right now in terms of bringing in, I mentioned education and enablement, in terms of bringing in that knowledge and disseminating yeah. it, right? It, there's a ton. Like I feel the last uh, four months, like uh, since uh, I guess it's been more than four months now since ChatGPT released, it, it's been an onslaught. Like week after week, there's been something new breaking out. Yeah, breakneck pace. It is Im- it is impossible to it you is, know to to, to just try to stay in the stream. Absolutely. This week I I, I saw Copilot X. Right, yep. GitHub's Copilot. It, it's amazing. It looks amazing. Yep. And um, it just every week there's something new and a new demo or a new new tool that's coming out, and it, it's it's a lot to keep up with. But guess what? There's some people whose jobs it is to keep up with, right? Yep. So so they can you know provide great uh, service to the rest of the org by disseminating this information uh, to them. And I'll also say that. Um, Working with GPT 3.5, as we did for our um, our generative AI um, feature, there's some of that old data science stuff that goes on, right? Mm-hmm. Setting up a sound experiment and hyperparameter tuning and this and that. And when do you fine tune? When do you not fine tune? And, you know, those decisions are very, very data science And so that's another place where data scientists can continue, you know, playing that role. Yep. Um, which which people are overlooking right now. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Do you are you going to hire a prompt engineer? Do you have someone on the team that you call a prompt engineer? Do you see yourself? And it's three questions. Sorry, but they're all in the same line. Do you see yourself hiring a prompt engineer if you if you don't already? That's a very good question. We do not yet mm-hmm. uh, think we aren't yet thinking about hiring a prompt engineer. Um, we have both data scientists and software engineers doing prompt engineering right, right. now. Yeah. 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 I, I'm really like that role as a defined role has been so, like a question mark for me. I see the reason why I think like scale was the first one who posted like an actual uh, staff prompt engineer job post out that. there. And I do understand as like, basically when an entire job or like they're going out and selling effectively engineered prompts, I do understand why that might be the case. But I don't think, and this is maybe hot take here, I don't think every company is going to have a prompt engineer. I think that is a title of necessity and also a little bit of like luxury. You're in a very particular place to be able to have that individual. Maybe. And I also feel like this space is changing so fast. Yeah. 
you know um one of the things that one of the things that the team you know some of the members of my team have been um have used is reverse prompt engineering yeah. which sort of you know reduces your prompt engineering cycles a lot as we learn more and more about like stuff we can do with this technology and as newer versions of it come out yep. like you know just the nature of playing with it is going to change so i feel i feel a little um skeptical about you know putting in copious amounts of money hiring a very specialized role yeah. when for all we know gpt5 like throws it at our face right so exactly yeah. it it feel like particularly for the you know as a man who reads headlines, uh, at least from the headlines of all the prompt engineers, you know, you can make $335,000 a year by, you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that was a, I, I can't remember what company, but you know, that's the big exciting thing is these very high dollar mm -hmm. uh, jobs going to people who aren't necessarily even data scientists or traditional like developers, uh, software engineers, um, even like people that can write quote unquote. Uh, I, I think it's an all, yeah, it's too early in my mind uh, for that specialized yeah. role. I'd much rather have someone who is a, de a declarative generalist that can take on, you know, the task of prompt engineering. And then to our earlier point, educate those around them and best practices and so on and so forth. It may be in a year from now, I'll eat these words and say that maybe every single company just needs a prompt engineer and it's going to be a de facto part of mm -hmm. everybody developing software. I'm happy to be wrong. But you know, it, it it's probably it's probably the same argument as the generalist versus specialist in like data science and machine learning. The vast majority of companies probably only need generalists, right? Yeah. Um, specialists is frankly a waste of money and, and time, like hiring specialists, whereas generalist generalists will give give you like the best bang for your buck and they're gonna be, you know, very agile yeah. uh depending on the problem that they're working on, which is amazing. Um, my team is full of journalists and they're awesome at what they do. Um, but I can imagine like, you know, being a really large, I don't know, Amazon or something and having like a pocket of specialists somewhere. I don't know. Um, but yeah, but I would some, imagine it's... It's spear research, I'd say. Some specialists are here and there, but for the vast majority, particularly in enterprise, yeah. I'll take a generalist nine, 99 times out of 100. And again, special, special cases, you want the specialist. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I think, uh, the, like, I don't see the role of data science just changing so drastically that we're all just like prompt engineers and just trying to soothsay <laughs> into this magic black box. But uh, well, it also depends on the type of data science we do. I feel like um, all of this generative AI, um, you know, conversations is sort of hiding that there's a whole bunch of data science that's not language related at all, yes. right? Uh, there's forecasting and segmenting and whatnot, and those things you're not going to be able to use ChatGPT for, at least not not yet. Yes, and I, I will say so. After you know, being a co-founder at Watchful and talking to at this point thousands of data science data scientists and teams, if there's one standard in data science is that there are no standards. Every <laughs> single every single team has their own tool chain, their own preferred yeah. approaches. I mean, hell, even from an academic perspective, you have camps that prefer certain approaches, the statistical methods or deep learning or what, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, you can't assume anything across the board and, and hell, like what a data scientist is at one company can be diametrically opposed to what the definition is at another company, depending on how it's integrated, what they're doing, et cetera. So uh, it's definitely, it definitely is like, it is easy to get caught up in the hype, but we do have to recognize it is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to actual productive and useful data science tasks. Um, it's just the very hot and sexy thing we can all talk about and poke right now.
And so, uh, kind of digging in any other lessons or anything, you know, kind of that you walked away with, uh, from, you know, coming and is the feature live? It is. It is live right now. Yeah. Awesome. We, I, I'm going to get off this call and I'm, I'm going to tell everybody to, uh, on the sales team, check <laughs> it out. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and please tell us how you find it. Um, but going to your uh, question on like lesson, um, you know, I think there, there is an underlying lesson for all AI features that, you know, continues with, with generative AI as well. And that is AI is not going to be always right. 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 There's uncertainty, like, Working with AI is basically working with uncertainty. Right. Uh, building an AI feature means, you know, you got to figure out how you're going to handle that uncertainty within your product. Um, and generative tech is nothing different. I think the only um, thing that makes people nervous is sometimes generative tech can come out as very confident, even yes. when <laughs> it's wrong, right? Um, we've seen some of those examples with, with uh, ChatGPT as well. Um, actually, this morning I was reading, I don't know if you caught up on like this Washington Post article about um, ChatGPT labeling a professor somewhere as a, um, as, as, as have committed, uh, sorry, ChatGPT labeled a professor as uh, that professor committed a sexual offense um, and actually cited a Washington Post paper uh, article to to back up its claim when that article did not exist. Did not exist. And that, yeah, yeah, and that professor was rightfully so, you know, Very afraid. Upset. <laughs> yeah, upset and afraid, right? Um, so that's not fun at all. Um, so sometimes these things get a lot of things wrong. I do think that there is. Um, it, it's important to be careful about that, but it's also important to know that it's not easy to get a very wrong answer out of it you know like you gotta usually not always but usually you gotta have a very very um intricate prompt you yeah. know to, to like make it say something awful or something wrong um i i will say after playing with it a bunch it's it can be difficult without some kind of intelligent chaining or processing to get mm -hmm. it to do very specific things that's been one yeah. of the one of my biggest like just in kind of playing, playing with it on my own, trying to, I need it to do this very specific thing and be right. That yeah. can be a, a big task. So it's kind of a, I think it's on yeah. kind of either end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's where like, um, we've, we've looked a little into like priming yeah. GPT, right? Like, uh, it, I, the example I give is if, if, um, if my husband asked me, what is the, what is the name of the beach that we visited in March, 2013? I'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But if he starts with, do you remember how we went to Puerto Rico in March, 2013? In, and while we were in Puerto Rico, we visited so many beaches. What was that beach that we visited? You know, then it, it's sort of like priming me to like, think about. You're firing up the graph, you know, you, exactly. got all, you got all the little nodes firing off and like Puerto Rico. Yeah, we did this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I feel we got to do something similar with ChatGPT, but obviously it's not the same as talking to a human. You you need to know how to talk to ChatGPT as well. Um, but yeah, like it's not going to be a perfect tool. There are imperfections. There are some security imperfections as well that you know, like prompt injection attacks and all of yes. that 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 people have been looking into, and we've also uh, looked into. So yeah, there are imp imperfections and. I feel like the good old all models are wrong. Some models are useful apply here as well, where instead of going down rabbit holes on like trying to make it perfect, we need to step back and think about where can it be useful and then, you know, design for imperfections, right? right. 
Um, there's, I actually read a great article by a former Google PM who said that, in in his opinion, the biggest bottleneck right now uh, with implementing GPT-based features is design and UX. Right. Yes. Um, you know, like designing it very well that that um, accounts for the fact that it's going to be imperfect and accounts for the fact that you expect a certain type of behavior from the user, right? In order for the user to get the most out of it. Right. Those are challenging things to solve for. Um, but those are also like really cool problems. Like if you solve them, you get you get some really cool features out of it. At 100%. And I think everything that you just talked about, and I've, I've talked a little bit about this before, but I feel that the big shift and the answer here is education, is alignment, making sure everybody understands the limitation of these systems, is we have, we're coming out of this period for 10 plus years, really like since software engineering has been a thing, of like deterministic expectations. Like there are deterministic problems. I know with this input, I get this output, or this is what should the, this is what the output should be. I can engineer a solution to make sure that is the output that we get. And we have been focused so much on these deterministic problems, the rise of the data lake and data warehouse and, you know, uh, business analytics and business intelligence uh, are largely standing in the world of determinism. You know, how many of these things, SQL queries, you know, uh, powering dashboards. But now, and again, I think the big to the, the, to the benefit and uh, credit to OpenAI and ChatGPT is it has made everybody realize there are a wide variety of non-deterministic, so ML, like things that we cannot always guarantee quality or accuracy on, but these are the same, that's the same problem that you face by putting a human to do it. The only difference is we can fire the human. They have a name. We can say, you know, Gary, why didn't you do this correctly? You were like, you're clearly slacking or whatever it is. We train someone better. We don't have that kind of uh, accountability, I think is the word. And therefore, we now need to, I think you said it perfectly, that I should say the Google X Google PM said it perfectly. UX is and design is really, I think, the big uh, is going to be the differentiating secret sauce for those who are really successful. And it all goes back and just take it full circle to the first point is back to alignment education is having leadership who fundamentally understands that these will like these use cases that they will be successful on and really move the needle are need to fit a shape where non-determinism is acceptable, whether it's by producing content and then having your sales uh, salesperson then or your seller uh, to use your language, uh, edit it. Perfect. Exactly. Who cares whether it's absolutely perfect? There's there's the accountability. We have the employee sending that out and we can fire them, give them a raise, give them a bonus, whatever it might be. Uh, but we can't rely on these things for what we would engineer and have a perfectly automated workflow. Uh, simply, we can't even guarantee what model version that is going to be executed underneath the hood as these models get updated. So how can we even hope about deterministic outputs? What are we going to automate off that? And so I think it's just a welcome shift of mindset in leadership, particularly because I think a lot of a lot of those, you know, practitioners and those in in data science understand the limitations of all this is data science, not data engineering. Uh, and getting the business aligned with how can we be most impactful and being realistic about the expectations of those systems and features that we build. So uh, like designing for the imperfection, I think is absolutely the right word or right phrase to use. That's right. And and I feel like there's so many lessons to be gained from just regular ML features that you know we've all played with and released and so on. Um, it is such a 
it's it is such a great time for generative ai to like you know really blow out into this beautiful thing right now because we've already had all of these lessons building ml features and about model monitoring and so on that we can now actually use a little bit for generative ai as well like why not you know monitor your generative AI features the way you would monitor your ML features, right? It's not the same thing. You don't have a ground truth. You know, I'm sorry. I I just used the name (laughs) of the podcast. Um, It is grounded truth. We we don't necessarily believe in ground truth for non-deterministic outputs. Plug for watchful. (laughs) (laughs) Well played there. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's a different kind of ML, but, but still like the idea of just monitoring how it's doing and, you know, getting qualitative feedback or, or sometimes even quantitative feedback based on, um, you know, based on what you expect that feature to do and how you expect success to be, right? Those basic principles apply even now, right? Um, It's all about designing good features at the end of the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Sneha, this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Just to kind of wrap up here, uh, final thoughts or advice uh, for any of our listeners that are sitting there going, how do I implement, you know, how do I be successful, maybe is the phrase I should use in implementing uh, or developing a generative AI feature solution? Should we like just ask chat GPT for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just ask chat GPT, duh. <laughs> well, okay, final thoughts. Well, you know, step one, alignment and excitement and understanding. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the big first step of getting that across your org. Step two, knowing what, you know, if you're, if you're especially a data science professional listening to this, knowing where your role is and, and really growing beyond it in, in this new chat GPT world is important. And then the third step is understanding its imperfections and working around it um, and, and uh, designing for it. Awesome. Uh, this has been so much fun. So just to wrap up here, everybody listening, I really enjoy the time here. Sneha has been so great. I really appreciate all the advice and kind of insight. Uh, it's all of this is very new for the entire industry. So I think uh, I think a lot of people are going to find this very useful at a minimum and or maybe useful at a maximum, interesting at a minimum, uh, as I think the entire industry is looking at the same set of problems and questions that you are. And how can we make the most of it? So this is great. Uh, and you so, know what, John? I feel like if we do a follow-up six months from now, we'll be like, scratch that, scratch everything we yes, said because yeah. <laughs> it's all changed. Yeah. Yeah. So it, maybe the someone that just spent a bunch of money on hiring some prompt engineers is going to go, oh, <laughs> why did I just do that? Uh, no, it, it's so much fun. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for the time, Sneha. Again, to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. This is John Singleton, co-founder and head of success at Watchful. Check out Watchful and try it today for free at www.watchful.io. Again, this was Sneha Subramanian, uh, director of data science uh, recently at Sales Off. Congratulations again, Sneha. And uh, any socials or plugs or anything uh, our listeners should follow, uh, follow up with you on? Sure. Yeah. You can follow Salesloft on LinkedIn. Um, we are pretty active there and on Twitter as well. Awesome. Sneha, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you to all our listeners. Uh, check in next week for our next episode.